All right, Adam Pine, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Thanks, Hawkey. Great. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Great, uh, great to hear your voice and great to speak to you. Hey, beautiful background. Looks like you're at the beach. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just hiding now. This is um, barely headland, barely heads uh, in the Gold Coast, so Queensland, um, yeah. not too far from home. And um, yeah, for all my Zoom meetings and work stuff, I, I try and make people feel jealous of where I am compared to where they are in, uh, you know, in the winter at the moment in the southern states it's a bit cool a bit fresh and locked down and yeah all sorts of things going on so yeah well mate listen um i want to get into you in a second but you we were just talking off air and you were you were telling me that you've listened to the majority of the podcasts that have been putting out and a lot of them have been our teammates you know that we swam with uh for many years on the australian team and uh you know what are you taking away from it what are, what are some of the things that you're hearing from the podcast that I guess, you know, any swimmer can learn from? Um, I think, yeah, I really enjoyed all the, all the Breadhawk podcasts, mate. So I really, you know, I hope you keep it up and, you know, I love learning and listening. I think I love hearing from my teammates and hearing their stories and their side of things that, that I was there too. And I can, you know, reminisce. It's been a great sort of trip down memory lane. But I really also enjoy hearing from, um, from coaches and I guess US-based athletes and coaches that I don't know too much about, and, and getting their insight about their race preparation, their mental attitude towards performance, and um, I love how you break that stuff down about you know the um, what it takes to win, how how you got there, what you did, and, and and the thinking and the mentality through those performances. I think I think that's the stuff that you know I I, I take little bits and pieces out, and you know although I'm no longer performing and competing. Um, my role with Swimming Australia allows me to help, you know, others and, and move through that, that process. And I'm, you know, grabbing little bits and pieces and hopefully it's making me, you know, a, a better team leader and manager and um, going to, you know, help, help some athletes down the track. So thank you very much. Yeah, well, listen, mate, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about your career, but like, what are you doing now? Talk to us about where you're at right now, what you're doing with, the, with, the, with Swimming Australia and those sorts of things. Well, I'm based um, in southeast Queensland. I'm... Um, you know, working in the high performance team for, for Swimming Australia. So I work across and look after the, the Paralympic athletes and also the open water program. Um, so, you know, Olympic and, and Paralympic athletes, they're ensuring that, um, you know, our, our coaches, our athletes are supported in their home programs, are supported when we go away on teams and camps, um, you know, aiming for th- those, those really best performances at the benchmark event at the Olympics, World Championships and, and other events every year. So it's... Um, you know, so it's like I've never really left the team. I'm, I'm still travelling. I'm still involved and um, still love the journey. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm inspired by our current crop of athletes and I'm hoping I'm, you know, providing them a good platform and the coaches a good platform to, to some great performances. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great role and I'm really enjoying it. Well, mate, we've always been super proud as a country to be one of the leading nations in the world, obviously in swimming. And, and we're, we're not a big country by any means in terms of population size you know like i guess we're, we're still under 30 million in australia but and yet we're we're definitely you know top three nations swimming you know swimming in the world so when you talk about support what does that mean and, and how can other countries kind of um, look at what we're doing in australia what look at what you're doing in australia and and kind of you know try and emulate that copy that and and get their own support what are we doing well, we, we, I guess we really try and look at what's best practice, what's best uh, for an individual in terms of their home environment, in terms of a group or a club or a team or, you know, a high performance centre or a performance program, whatever you call it, and really put in, I guess, everything around that, that piece to make sure that there's no, there's no gaps, you know, that everything can be covered. And it really then does allow the athlete to right, take accountability and I've got everything I need. All I've got to do is perform. So that's, that's, that's the goal. I mean, I think, yeah, as you said, we're, we're a small country. Um, we've got, you know, 25, 27 million, something along, along those lines in terms of population. We've only actually got 60,000 registered swimmers in the whole country. So it's, you know, in terms of participants, we don't have a huge number of participants. And, um, but, but the area in the program we work in, the high performance, is about 150 or so athletes that are categorised at the top level across Olympic, Paralympic and open water. And those, those athletes, I guess, our role is to, to nurture and, and support them and, and create those environments. I think it started, you know, back in, in the 80s when they brought in the Institute of Sport that 
there was never any roles or pro, you know process for um, sports admin. It was yeah, everyone just did did your own thing. You had a, you know you had a coach in your home program, wherever you, your club team or your school team or however it worked, and mm. some great athletes came through. And Australia did really well. Um, you know, through the eighties and nineties, we kind of yeah you know jumped up and and moved through the world and leading into the Sydney two thousand games where you know Australians were really proud of of the performances and, and created this this you know sporting culture and in terms of swimming swimming's one of our country's favorite thing we're surrounded by water there's you know millions and millions of Australians that swim every year whether they're a member of a swim team or, or not um, everyone lives in the ocean or spends time in the ocean and, and the lakes and the rivers and we've got a, you know a ton of pools there's like 1550 meter pools in a, in, a, in a country spread out all over you know I live on the Gold Coast, I think, where there's about 14, 50-metre facilities within a 30-kilometre radius. Mm-hmm. So there's pools everywhere. So we've got this great environment and ability to, 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 to train. Um, and, and for us in our role at Swimming Australia is to try and nurture and support those guys and ensure that everything can be put in place to put the best performance together. You know, take away all these, you know, the outside distractions and take away all the other little bits and pieces to ensure that um, you know, all athletes have got to do is turn up every day, be consistent in their environment, listen to the coach, work with the coach, work on the plan, get up on the blocks and perform. So that you know, that's that's it. Really simplistically, it's it's not that easy, um, but that's what we're trying to do. Main part of my story, which I know you've heard me talk about, and and I'm sure it's part of your story in a way that you know, when we were swimming and we're trying to make the Olympic team. We didn't have funding in a sense that there was a stipend of, of any kind. You know, I had, to, I had to work at Pizza Hut to deliver pizzas, you know, to try and make the Olympic team. For three years, I did that. And then, you know, so I, had, I have my story and then we'll, we'll talk about yours. But what, where are we now? What, what is the support like for the swimmers and, and maybe even the Paralympic swimmers in terms of them trying to be the best they can be? Well... It's good. I mean, there's no, um, you know, there's not a huge number of swimmers that make an absolute living out of out of the out of the sport. But the I guess the role and and where the governments come in and us as the, the national body, we're really supporting athletes and we're providing, um, I guess, an alternative so that you don't have to you know go and work at Pizza Hut and you know I still remember stories and and things of you and you come down to Canberra and, and race back in the day and you'd just sleep in your car overnight in the middle of winter in Canberra you know um you know yeah so yeah back when we we when we started there, there was it was sort of the funding and the support was just was just started and that's probably one of the reasons I went as, a, as an athlete to the AIS because I grew up in country regional in South Wales where you know there's a pool and there's a in winter we sometimes go in and train a 25 meter pool indoors sometimes but sometimes we just have a few months off and wait for the pools to warm back up again for the summer and then we get back into it and you know you can't afford to do that anymore swimming's a full-time um venture you need to be in the water and consistent and, and doing those things and yeah so where we're at with our athletes it's you know it's great to be able to provide their support but with support also becomes obligations and also becomes you know, um, you know there's, some, there's some gray areas and, and little bits and pieces. So, you know, sometimes look back in the 70s and 80s and, and how it was as well, that was good. You just you swam because you wanted to and if you're good enough, you did it and you, you kept going and you did it and you did the right thing. Um, you know, these days there's, yeah, probably, as I said, about 150 athletes that are, that are you know, decently supported in terms of, you know, some, some stipends and some, um, you know, contributions to their training and travel and, and competition performance outcomes so it's you know it's yeah it's a, it's a juggling act and you know i'm not saying it wasn't bad but you know it wasn't good back then and it's it's better now it's, it's good now and it's it's great that we can do this and you know it helps us to you know hold those sticks and carrots around athletes to ensure that okay we want you to do this this and this and for this you know there's this there's this small stipend and that just helps um convince them to go through and the coaches to go through the right processes and put the good plans in place and you know and be accountable for themselves in the, in in the daily environment. Well, there's always this lag for, for us. And, and you, you ended up going to the U S you, you swam at Nebraska. So, you know, it. you, you made the decision too, like I did to swim at Auburn. There's this lag from high school to the, to the senior level, you know? So like when I was 18, I, I wasn't ready to, to compete for Australia yet. I needed time, you know, and, and that's what they have in the U S they have this system where you go to college and you, you learn and you grow and you progress and, and you race and you get better and you get experience 
and, and so that's what they have. But, but there was always this lag for us of like what happens in those those years for Australian swimmers, you know. And so we're, we're always deterred from going to America, but there was nothing really in support of us staying there that would, would say, hey, we see your potential. Um, we're going to help you get to, to this next level over the next, you know, two or three years. Has that changed in Australia? Uh, unfortunately not. I think there still is that that process that most, you know, in that transition period, that 18, 19 years, once you've finished your high school, um, you can go to university and keep swimming if you're at a certain level and some will stick with it. But there's not that that, that great support for, you know, the, the next run. There's, the, you know, there's probably... 3,000 athletes every year in those in those in those groupings, mm. uh, and, and we do lose many of them to the sport because yeah, as you said, that we, we need time. Um, yeah, as an athlete, I, I was quite fortunate that I, that I snuck onto the team um, as a teenager and, and was around for a long time. But um, you know, I, my choice to go to the US was actually because I missed the Olympic team and, and needed something new and needed a different stimulus. Um, you know, but I had been on the team the year before and actually I was a medalist at the Pampax the year before the Games in 96. And um, then, um, you know, things went through and a few other athletes came through and, you know, performed and didn't do badly, but um, I knew I needed to do better, needed something else. And, and yeah, to me, it was um, always wanted to do the, the US experience and get my degree. And it was a good way to make sure I, I focused on, on getting my education at the same time, because in Australia, I was probably never going to get there. I was going to, if I wanted to swim, it was, it was difficult to do the balance and the both. So I think that's, you know, the US system's comparative advantage is that uh, you have this university system that props up and supports, you know, a couple of hundred Division One schools and Division Two schools and other schools that athletes can keep swimming. Uh, and they can, they can, you know, find out how good they could be without the you know, the onus of being just a swimmer, they can be a student, a, you know, a student athlete, um, they can work part-time and do other bits and pieces, but still something can hold them to the sport and hold them, their obligation to swim and see what they can do. And, you know, as you said, yeah, at, at, at 20 years or so when you went to the stage, you still needed some development. And mm. many of our guys, I've got a son, um, probably the same age as your, your, your second, uh, Kobe and Max are pretty similar. I remember our, um, our yeah. lives were pretty at the same time. Mm. You know, so he's finishing year 12 this year and um, he swims. He's, he's a pretty decent swimmer and he trains pretty well. Um, but um, if he wants to swim, I think he's going to have to swim for a couple more years before he finds out mm. how good he could be. And, um, you know, it's something that, that he's considering. It's also looking at other bits and pieces. And, you know, he's in that, you know, I, I joke and call it the, the fuming years where there's the, the boys find the, the cars and the car fumes and the girls find the perfume. So they, they worry about what they look like and the boys worry about how fast they can go. So you know, he's, you know, modifying his car and doing bits and pieces and, and driving around and hanging out with mates. And, you know, so, yeah, potentially he, he, he won't swim on, but he might. Um, you know, that, that's his choice and something that um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, mate, I know a few people in America. If you need some help, I can, I can hook him up, you know, we'll, we'll get him out here. But listen, um, I remember this from you. I remember you being a young uh, superstar, you know, in my memory. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but you were good young, like, you know, and you came from a small country town, like you said. And so it was like, who the hell is this kid from wherever he's from? Like, you know, you, you would normally hear from people from Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne, the big cities, but you're this small country town. And you were lighting it up. Um, am I correct in that? Well, I, I always swam. I mean, I, I grew up in, in Lismore, New South Wales, and, and swam at Lismore and Ballina mm. in terms of the swimming clubs. Yeah. Um, and I always swam as a young age. And yeah, at uh, sort of nine and 10 years of age, I was coming down through the school system because I think we're the same age in the, probably in the school system, or maybe you're a year ahead of me in the school, school age groups. Mm. But um, I was coming down to Sydney and, and competing in the, the state swimming school yeah. championships. Yeah. Um, but I, I really wasn't on the club pathway and, you know, being up, I was, you know, two hours from Brisbane, closer to the Queensland capital than in the nine hour drive to Sydney. So for me, I, I didn't quite often come to New South Wales championships and never even found Australian championships until, until I was old. I mean, my first Australian age championships was 16. I didn't even know that the event existed. I was just a country swimmer that would swim and, you know, swim at the school level and swim at the local club level. But yeah, I, I was okay, but um, I was always actually the second or third best in my club and, and even in my school and my age group stuff, there was always one or two kids that would beat me. And, um, 
you know, and those kids were winning the gold medal at the state and maybe I was getting a second or a third, but occasionally I might, you know, win one event. But, um, you know, there was these, these other guys that were, were fast and, um, you know, I was just trying to keep up with them and training back in those days in, in regional New South Wales and club programs was, was all about 50s and all about, you know, just sprinting and just going fast. So we didn't do much training. We swam almost every day after school. Didn't do huge volumes, but geez, we did a lot of 25 walkbacks and a lot of sprinting and a lot of racing. And yeah, so I think I, I raced really as a young kid and I was, you know, not, not bad at 12, 13, 14 and, and kept swimming. And then, you know, I still wasn't great at, at 15, but um, did really well in the school system, but hadn't found the club or the national system yet or whether, whether my parents didn't know or whether the coaches just said, oh, you know, whatever and see how things go. So I never actually competed to, uh, at a national level in Australia. Um, at 16 was my first age nationals and at 17 I went to my first open nationals and at 17 I happened to win it so it was like a really steep curve at the end um but a consistent yeah I always swam but it, it, yeah it wasn't one of those things where I really thought about how good I could be or what I was doing I just yeah just went along with the flow and just enjoyed the journey mate you uh you were primarily a butterfly I mean that was that was your gig you were you were super fast at butterfly um but you, you grew up in an, in an era or in a time period where some of the greatest butterflies in the world were Australian. You know, you had, you had Scotty Miller, you had Michael Clem, you had Jeff Hugel. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple of your, your own competitors that you could probably name a few more. But um, yeah, I mean, we were pretty stacked in that area at that time, right? We were hugely stacked. Um, when I first sort of came onto the scene and swam at the national level, there was this guy called Andrew Bowden that had won the Commonwealth Games in 1990. And, you know, he's a pretty decent butterflyer. Mm. We didn't have too many other butterflies. And it was kind of after the 92 games when um, a lot of older athletes had sort of moved on and done their time. And yeah, I just, you know, I, I love to do fly and love to do fast fly. And that was, that was my focus. But then, um, as I said, even as a, when I was in, 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 in high school and school, I was probably the second best at the school or second best, at, you know, at the club. And, um, and then all of a sudden in Australia, I'm the second or third best butterfly because these guys are coming out of nowhere. You know, I, you know, I kind of jumped on the team doing butterfly before they'd made it. Scotty Miller and I made our first team together for Pampax 93 for Kobe in Japan, mm. but he was doing 200 fly and I was doing the hundred fly. So he wasn't doing hundred flies then. And then next year he, he discovered the hundred flies and he, he jumped ahead, so I was chasing him. And then, yeah, we come up around that 96 games and, uh, and Clemmy comes in and, and Jeff Hugel comes in, so I'm chasing them. So I think through chasing those guys, um, it stopped me putting a limitation on what was possible and made me a much better swimmer. So, you know, yeah, I was, I was in and around those guys, but the, I guess the, luckily the environment was everyone was going fast, so they dragged me along with them kind of thing. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because I think, you know, you had an extensive career. How, how long did you actually swim for Australia? So if you made your first Australian team, what, in 90, what did you say, 93? Yeah. And then, uh, and then when did you finish swimming for Australia? Well, I missed 96, um, but otherwise swam for Australia every year right through to 2009. Gosh, that's incredible. In 2010, I qualified for the, the Com Games team. I placed third in the hundred flight selection trials for Com Games, but well, yeah, my wife was having a baby and was a, I was working over bits and pieces, so I didn't go to Com Games in 2010. And then, you know, that was kind of the well, maybe I'm done, but yeah. So about 17 years of swimming on the national team. So yeah, I was I was experienced at, at swimming on the national team, and um, saw a lot of athletes come and go, come and go. Um, you know, I think that's kind of relates to my my role and my job now. Is I've seen it all. I can read things. I can know what's going on and help support, you know, get athletes and get the best out of them. So, yeah, but, um, you yeah, know, it was a great time in swimming in Australia, as you know, you know, that was, it was an awesome time to grow up with those superstars, you know, the Kieran Perkins, Susie O'Neill's, Sam Riley's, and then, you know, then the, the growing up and being part of the next generation of, of superstars, the, you know, Becky Browns, Michael Clem, um, you know, we had world champions coming out of, all over the place. That so was an awesome time to be part of uh, swimming and swimming in Australia. It was just so much fun. Well, you were, you know, you're never the best. If you say you were never the best in, in high school growing up, you, you said you're always number two or three, and then you go and swim for Australia for 17 years. And you've got guys that were regarded as 
maybe faster swimmers than you that, that broke world records. How did you stay in it so long? How, you know, and I'm talking to the, the kids now that get discouraged easily. You know, it's like, how do you represent your country for 17 years, but you're never the best? It's, it's pretty incredible, right? It is. Yeah. And it was, um, it's really hard to think about the mentality now. And I, I wish someone could have, um, you know, I had a time machine here back and grab myself by the shoulders and just, just shake yourself and go, see, you're this good now and you're going to be this good. But if you could do this time now, you'll be a superstar, you know? So yeah. and where I started swimming 100 flies at 55, 54, making the national team and, and finishing at 51, making the national team. I mean, it was a far cry in between, you know, and, and mm. you think about how far, you know, where the world record was and how it jumped over those 17 years as well. It's kind of like, wow. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's kind of like a missed opportunity. But at the same time, I just, um, every time I swam, I knew I could go faster. And it was one of those things, you know, there's always little bits and pieces. And I had a, you know, great understanding, awareness of myself and body and, and, and in terms of my competition, my races. And I could feel things, remember things that I didn't do or didn't do quite well. So, I think those 17 years, I was just always trying to put together the best performance. And, and, and I knew when I did a performance, oh, yeah, I did that, but I didn't quite do that right. So next time, do that right. And um, it, kept, it kept moving on. But there was a period there, I mean, I think around the Sydney Games, um, I was the number three butterfly in Australia coming into the Sydney Games. So I didn't make the team for the 100 fly for Sydney. Um, I went 52-7, 52-6 at the national trials. I think that time um, was a decent time. I think it was about fifth in the world or fourth, you know, something like that at the, at the moment. Um, but I was third in the country, so I couldn't swim at Sydney. So lucky I, you know, picked up some freestyle and was, was making the, the relay team in the, in the 100 free and, and I'm swimming freestyle. But, um, you know, so I swam pretty fast then. But then I kept swimming and making teams 2001, 2002, all the way through. But from 2000 to 2007, I don't think I did a PB in the 100 fly. So seven years of no PB but I just kept knowing that I could swim faster and I just couldn't put that performance together. So it's kind of frustrating. And maybe I was, you know, probably not the best athlete. I was distracted and doing other bits and pieces, got, you know, having kids, getting jobs, doing other bits and pieces, going all over the place. But I always knew I could swim faster than I did, you know, at, you know, back at, those, back at that, that last performance, that was my best time for seven years. So um, yeah, my, my 50 improved, my 103 improved, other bits and pieces improved through that period. Uh, but I wasn't, my 100 fly, which was, you know, considered my main event, um, didn't move for, for seven years. Mm, wow. Incredible, man. And um, there, there's a lot to learn there for, for kids that are always expecting to swim best times. You know, it just it doesn't necessarily have to be that way or should be that way. There's still ways that you can be successful without swimming best times. It's, it's about being consistent, really, and and putting yourself in a position where you can make those teams. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was your, your medals at the Olympics. I've had, uh, I've had a couple of athletes that have won um, gold medals or, or, or just a medal at the Olympics, but haven't necessarily swum on the final, the, the a final um, championship relay. I mean, one of the, one of the guys in particular is Tyler McGill, you know, Tyler McGill swam from me, made the Olympic team, and was um, back up to Michael Phelps in the relay. And obviously the American relay went on to win um, the, the gold medal in, in 2012. And Michael swam the fly leg of, of the final, but, but Tyler swam the prelims, you know, qualified the team to get to the final and, and earned himself a gold medal. Most people, some people might not know that, that if you swim on the prelims relay, you get the gold medal just like as if you swam in the final. And I know you've had a couple of relays like that where, you know, the men's four by one freestyle relay in um, 2000, I believe you swam in the morning. And then, and then in 2008 for the, for the uh, medley relay that won a silver medal, I believe you swam in the morning too. So how do you look at those medals? Um, do you feel, do you, do you, do you feel like you won a gold medal or do you, do you feel just as proud as if you swam at night? I mean, wh what's your opinion on it? Well, I'm proud to be part of the team and contribute to the performance of the outcome. Um, but it, it's not the same. You know, it's definitely not the same as, as winning an individual medal um, or definitely not the same as being um, a, a member of that team in that, in that final. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. The, the further we get away from it, the more I'm comfortable and celebrate and, and, and happy to be part of it. But at the time, I think it's one of those things, it's kind of like that bittersweet moment that, um, oh, yeah, he, he's, you know, he's your gold medal, um, you know, thank you for your performance or thank you for getting the team qualified. 
Um, but it's, it's, it's not the same. So, I mean, I know there's, yeah, there's controversy out there. Some people don't regard heat swimmers as, as medalists. Um, but I, I think, you know, um, my, yeah, you know, we, we treat them now in, in, in Australia in the sport. It's, it's, it's vital. Relays are an incredible part of performance and the, the medal tally for the country. And, you know, I really think that heat swimmers are, are really important to make sure that you can get that final team right. You know, if Phelps is swimming seven, eight, nine events at a, a games, you know, if you take one swim away from him and not allow him to have to bust his nut in the heat for a relay, then absolutely it's going to be great for um, for the team. And it's going to allow him just to come in and focus for that, that performance at night time. So, you know, I think it's, um, I think even he's got a gold medal from a heat swim as well. Um, one of his one of his 13 gold medals might be from a heat swim when someone else swam, swam the final for him. Um, you know, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, we, we were there, we were part of the team. You know, so I can go back and I can remember the performance at Sydney 2000 Games in the morning. I remember coming in and, you know, it was Ash Callis and myself um, and Todd Pearson swimming that, that heat. Uh, Chris Fyder was having a swim, but his performance was safe. So I was saying he's just having a hit out, but you guys really need to be on to make sure you qualify and get in a good lane. So, you know, we jumped up. We had a great performance. You know, we, you know, we were the fastest there that, that morning and put the team in a, in a good position right in the centre of the pool for that final. Um, and I still remember looking at the splits and waiting to see how, how it went. And, and it was, I think it was 0 0.07 between me and Ash Callis. So mm. he got the film, you're in Ash, and uh, 0.07 seconds later, Adam, thanks very much. You know, great. Enjoy watching it tonight. So, wow. um, you know, at the time it was kind of like, oh, I was close. And it was a little bit of a, a relief that um, we didn't have this pressure of this final on the first night of the games and the home games of Sydney. But at the same time, I was, you know, that little bit of disappointment knowing, hey, I could have gone better. I knew I could have gone better. So again, that's... You know, next year, back to the drawing board, I knew I could go faster and I, and I kept improving that freestyle from there and then, then on as well. So, you know, it was kind of like um, some good recognition to get those, those relay medals, but knowing that I could also improve and, and keep moving forward uh, next time. An interesting perspective there, mate. Um, you know, at the time in 2000, I, I felt like I was the fastest swimmer in Australia. You know, I was swimming the 50 freestyle. So from point A to point B, I could swim faster than anybody. I just couldn't turn around and come back again. So I wasn't even considered for that relay at all. I wasn't even, and I, and I didn't think I should be, you know, I just couldn't come back. But, um, but you know, so I would, I would have given my right arm to be, be swimming in the morning, you know, and, and to be, be awarded a gold medal. So for me, I'd, I'd be incredibly proud to call myself a gold medalist because I didn't even get a chance to. And, and, and here I am as myself, um, self-proclaimed fastest swimmer in Australia, you know, and I'm not even getting a chance to swim on this relay. So, um, mate, I, I see it differently than you, I guess. I don't know. I would be extremely proud and I would certainly call myself a gold medalist. But again, I'm not in your position. So um, I, I don't know. Do you, when, when you when you are introduced as a gold medalist, an Olympic gold medalist, does it make you feel a certain way? Like, do you, do you feel, um, I don't know. I mean, you tell me, how do you feel about it when people introduce you as an Olympic gold medalist? Well, um, yeah, I, I, you know, as I said, now I feel really, really proud and really happy. It's, um, you know, it, it's a great honor. And um, yeah. one of those things that, yeah, you know, it's a correct statement. So, I, you know, yes, I've got the gold medal. I'm, you know, the, pre um, the not the president, <laughs> the Prime Minister of Australia, John Howard, presented me with my medal. Mm. Um, you know, nice. to make it in you know, an official, you know, because I didn't get to stand up on the dice that night. But the next morning in the village, they organised a presentation for for us us relay relay heat swimmers, and you know, same thing for some other other athletes and other other things like that. And it was a great honour to to receive my medal. And um, yeah, I, when people introduce me as Olympic gold medalist, I, I tell them the story. I'm you know, proud to contribute to the performance of Australia winning how many gold medals we won at the Sydney Games and being there and, and, and living that. So it's, um, you know, I am. I'm, I'm honoured and I'm proud of, of that. You know, that, as I said, it, it's still different, but it's, it's still a great feeling and it's a, it's a great achievement and I am very proud of it. Yeah. Oh, good, man. I'm glad you feel that way because I never won anything. So I'm really happy that you, that you got something out of that. So, mate, listen, your wife, Sasha, was, uh, was also an Australian um, representative and swimmer. What was it like having, uh, and this is a question from Josh Watson, by the way, one of, our, one of our former teammates in 2000. Josh wants to know what it was like having a, uh, a, a girlfriend and a wife, eventual, uh, eventual wife, um, that was at that level as well and, and training and competing and um, what were the advantages or disadvantages, let's say, of, of having um, that situation? 
Well, I think um, it, it, the advantages are pretty clear that, you, you know, you know each other's journey and requirements and you know what, you, what it takes and what you, what you need to do. So in terms of understanding my training load and what I need to do to, be, to train, you know, to be an athlete, you really, really need to be selfish. You really need to be selfish to say, this is what I need to do to be the best that I can and, and do that. And it, it's tough. So uh, as a partner, having had her understand that, um, and go through that and live that herself, it made it easy. You know, it, it made it, you know, she knew. And, and, you know, I'm very grateful that she gave me the time to keep swimming for 17 years, even through, <laughs> through marriage and kids and, and jobs and other bits and pieces. Because, you know, I spent a lot of time away from home. I spent a lot of time at, at the pool and, you know, missed a lot of nappy changes and a lot of feeds up, up early out the door and mm. other bits and pieces. So, you know, I think it's one of those things that, yeah, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a challenge as well because um, there's there's a performance and you worry and, and worry about each other's performance and even when uh, we both went to the states together and we swam at university and you know some some seasons you know she didn't have a great great year and some seasons I wasn't doing that well at some things or for a certain amount of time and you know so yeah you, you can share and talk through those things but surprisingly we didn't talk too much swimming it was just an understanding yep you go off and do your thing i'll go off and do my thing and we swim and we do this and do that and you know we, we always had different coaches and different coaching groups so we never trained in the same lane very often and never got in and did the same thing but um you know i think it was it was kind of an advantage and it, and it enabled me to you know to yeah to be as good as i could because yeah she was a, a great support and allowed me to keep going and keep trying for, for so long so yeah it was good fun Mate, you're in a position now where you, you work for Swimming Australia, but you also, um, you know, made the choice to swim in college. Like I said, you swam at Nebraska. Um, so what's, what's your advice to, to young Australian kids? So, you know, do you want them, obviously, you want them to stay, um, you know, in Australia and, and, and try and get through the system that way. But if somebody came to you and said, you know, what, I'm considering staying here or going to America, what would you say to them? Well... You know, I'm kind of in a difficult space here, but I think, um, yeah, real, really the best high-performance environments for swimming, you know, are, are in Australia. So depending on where you are in your journey, you know, if you're serious about making this and doing this and taking it to the next level, some of the best coaches, the best performance environments in swimming in the world are in Australia. So don't go looking for something else. And if you've, you know, not enjoying your coach or not, not things aren't working out for where, where you are. The first thing is look at yourself because a lot of times moving program won't solve the issues. You'll take the issues with you. Um, but having said that, the, as I said earlier, the, the, the college experience and the four years of um, team swimming is something that we don't have. And, and some people and some personalities can really benefit from that. You, you come into an environment, it's a fresh, it's new, you know, and um, if you come from Australia, you've probably got a good training background, so you can swim and you can swim, you know, distances and you can fit it, fit in really well. And you come into this college system, and the training load's not going to hurt you. The racing's just going to completely benefit you, um, and the different focus and the different mentality of, of swimming fast and swimming fast regularly is the best thing. You know, um, I think as an athlete, my starts um, got better and better the older I got, and one of the things people ask me about that, why, why is your start so good or why are you so quick at this and good at turns and good at that? And I said, well, because I've done so many of them. So the more, the more starts you do, the better you're going to be at starting. It's, it's, it's black and white. And the more races you do, the, more, the better you're going to be at racing. Uh, you know, I think in Australia, we don't race enough at that you know, percentage of max or best time level close enough. You know, we can build up and create the best performances. I you know, love listening to your talk on um, um, Duncan Armstrong and, and, and getting him ready for one performance for one time you know one moment and get up and swam and, and just beat the you know this underdog that just knocked the world for six you know that gone are the days where that, that happens I think we really need athletes need to perform they need to demonstrate that they're close and, and doing that consistently and then they can take the next step and, and or be consistently be the best so you know it, it, it's tough you know um and the u.s system provides a great you know the college system the college coaches and you know that team mentality provides that great opportunity just to get those skills right to get that that performance right and be you know racing flat out trialing things and, and testing things and going back to the drawing board and doing it again and swimming off events swimming longer events swimming different distances mate it's it's a great experience so 
you know, I'll, I'll talk to the athlete, I'll find out how they're going, what they're doing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm listed, I think, on the Swimming Australia website. It's one of the, the person at Swimming Australia to talk to about going over to college. So I'm happy to you know, give everyone, the, the, you know, the best advice that's for them. It's, it's, it's a great experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'd, there's a lot of Australians, I think, just committed recently to going over to the US and I think they'll do well. I think it's something that we don't provide that environment for in Australia yet. So, yeah. unfortunately, you know, there's not many university or new medicine systems in Australia that's set up to support our athletes at the best and get them racing, get them racing, get them competing. Um, but in terms of performance environments, there's no better place in the world than, than Australia to come and train. So, it depends where you are on your, on your pathway and on your journey. Um, but, you know, I think there's, there's the best of both worlds. If you can combine, you know, some Australian training background like I did, some US racing and then come back and then still keep going in the, in the Australian system. That's, that's what we want. So we want athletes that do go over the US. We want to, you know, not lose touch of them and ensure that after they finish 22, 23 years of age or whatever it is, that they're still swimming and that they've still got a lot of improving to do because that's when they're going to be the best they can be. You know, the average age of an Olympic medalist, I think the male is still 20, 24, 25 and the female is about 23 years of age. So, We've got to get our, our athletes swimming much, much longer and, and later. And, um, and as I said, US system, you guys have got it, got it set up over there. That It's just awesome. It, it's a yeah. great experience. Yeah. Mate, um, you know, I know for myself, you know, I was, I was one of the best swimmers in the world, but I was never the best swimmer in the world. You know, I was always in Olympic finals or world championship finals. And, and I know you're, you're similar, you know, but, but you're on the Australian team for many years and we're surrounded by superstars. We're surrounded by people that everybody knows, Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, Michael Klim, you know, these types of athletes. Um, what did you bring to the Australian team you, that you're proud of? And what did, what do you feel like you contributed to their performances at that time? Because, you know, from my point of view, Adam Pine was kind of the glue that held everything together. You know, you were the guy that people could come to and feel, you know, you just made people feel confident because you were just sure of yourself and you would, you know, I remember this time when we we're in, we we're in Paris and, um, the, <laughs> the Australian coaches were like, all right, you got, you got a free day. And, um, you know, if there was ever a free day, I was going to hang around Adam Pine because Adam Pine knew exactly where to go and how to get there. And like, you were just organized and, you know, just sure of yourself. So that was kind of what I got from you is that there's just this level of like maturity and confidence. So what do you think you, you brought to their performances and how did you, how did you help the Australian team at that point in time? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think one of those, um, one of the things I'd, I'd like to think I contributed was that, that professionalism. I think I was lucky early on to have some, some good coaches that, you know, understood the difference between, a swimmer and you know a high performance swimmer you know being being elite and being professional with everything you do so you know i think you know i knew how to train um i wasn't afraid of training i trained hard mm. but i did the little things right i you know came in and tried to do all the you know the prehab and the warm-up exercises um you know always gave my best and you know never never missed a, a training session um it was always first in the pool in the morning um you know th those type of, of attitudes, but but yeah, I you know I, I enjoyed life as well, and um, you know I, from from experience and being you know with those World Series and those 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 events in in Paris Hundred Bits and Pieces, yeah, I mean I can still probably find my way around the the, the Paris Underground just from memory because um, we've got those train scenes all over the place so many times, and you know yeah, so I, I enjoyed getting out and about, and swimming you know took me around the world and gave me some great experiences, but yeah, some some great people, you know, so. It was kind of funny listening to, to when, you, when you spoke to Thorpey as well and, and hearing the story about him putting on the suit, you know, um, mm. after, his, after his 400 free, he's, just, he's Olympic champion, he's, you know, young kid, 16 years of age, and he's just won the Olympic gold medal and he's got this final, this, this 4 by one freestyle relay later on and, um, you know, he's, he's putting his suit on, he rips his suit and so it ended up everyone couldn't find him and I, I found him in the bathroom and I'm in there with him and, you know, there's other bits and pieces, but, you know, so hopefully I was that, that rock for him that day to help him get that suit on. You know, he kicked everyone else out because everyone was yelling and screaming, making, making a big, big scene of it. Um, mm. We did get that wet suit that he'd raced in and that 400 back on him. Um, and that was a suit he raced in for that final of that, of that relay that night. And, you know, he walked out just in time to hear the Australian team announce and put his hands up. And, you know, um, so, yeah, it was, it was great, you know, to, to be part of those little stories and hearing those stories it's great. I've been hearing hearing my name come up from time to time, and mm. you know, thank you for for reminiscing and, and 
sharing all these great stories from all these great people. But, um, but we had some great, some great athletes and some great friends over the years on the team. And, you know, I really appreciated getting to know you and, and um, have, had, had some great times and some good things. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You think, yeah, you definitely were one of the fastest swimmers in the world or the fastest swimmer in the world. And, you know, you, you definitely carried yourself well. You had this self-belief. And I think that's what made you a great athlete. And, um, yeah, I can share some, some great stories about you. And, and one thing, actually, one thing I, I do remember about, about you as an athlete, and, and I'll ask you this question, is um, when, when you were racing, um, before they brought in the rule where there was no false starts, when there was a false start in a race and you jumped in and you'd already done a start and you had to swim to 15 metres and get the rope and walk out and get back around to the block, you know, um, how did you feel and how did you prepare, prepare for that second race? Were you in your head like, oh, that's it, I'm done? Mm. Or were you like, okay, let's, let's, let's go again? Because for me, as the outsider, and you, know, you, you might see this differently, that if I'm racing Brett Hawke in a 50, um, if I can get him wet before the gun goes off, I know I can beat him because he's mm. already done his start. Mm. Mm. 100%. 100%. 100%. I actually had, a, yeah, I had, a, I had an experience right before I came to college. Um, we, I think we had the Australian short course championships and there was a false start right before it. And, uh, and I sprinted to 15 and, and then I hit the rope and I was like, ah, oh, shit, I'm done. Like immediately I thought I'm done. Like that was it. I was flying. And then I had to swim back and jump straight back on the block. And, um, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't smart enough to kind of take my time and, and that sort of thing. So I jumped back on the block and my heart rate's pumping. So yeah, I had very little in me and, and the, the little I had in me is, is what I had to use in the race. And that was it. Once that was gone, it was gone. So yeah, you're right, man. Um, I, I wasn't good in that respect. And so I remember finishing, I think I finished fourth at the Australian championships in December of 1996 and then three months later, or, you know, three and a half months later, I, I ended up winning NCAAs as a freshman. And, and, that, and, and that moment um, where, where I swam out was it was a catalyst because I was so devastated. Like, I was sure that I was going to win, and I ended up so, fourth. Yeah, that was selection for 95 World Short Course or something. Yeah. Well, no, I think I made that team, but, um, but no, this was, this was 96, so it was past that. So, um, you know, I... I, I it was, it was devastating anyway, you know, um, and it had a huge impact on me, you know, swimming that race or swimming that 15 meters, having to come back and get up and then finishing fourth. Um, I just it, mentally, it, it, I had a, I had a mental shift right there. And then I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, um, be that type of guy. I'm not going to be that type of swimmer. And, and I remember that shift. So you're right. I, I was, um, I was mentally weak at that point in time in my life. And, I had to I had to really shift some things around, but um, you know, one of the decisions I made in 1996, I was like you. I, I finished third at the trials and missed the Olympic team, but I was hoping to make the Olympic team. Like I I, w I had this fantasy of like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if I was an Olympian? I hope I can do that, you know. And that was my whole mentality. I hope I can be an Olympian. I don't. I'm not really sure if I can, but I hope I can you know, and, and, I, and that was kind of what I went in with. And I finished third. And in 2000, I shifted my mentality. My mentality was, I'm not trying to finish second at the trials. I'm going to win and everybody else has to try and finish second behind me. Like my mentality was, I'm winning the trials. I'm making the Olympic team. And when you make that mental shift, going into an Olympic trials, it's, it's a completely different feeling. You know, you feel like you're in control. Whereas on the other side, you feel like you have no control at all and you're, and it's really just, I hope things work out. It's like tossing a coin and, and hoping you get tails, you know, whereas it's like the other mentality is tossing a coin with two heads and knowing you're going to get heads. You know what I mean? So that was the feeling I had. Absolutely. Right. And, and so how did you get that maturity to, you know, to change? I mean, I, I sympathize. I can, I can picture and imagine and feel my, my emotions and feelings of, of heading into 96. And it was like, Oh yeah, so when you make the Olympic team, when you go to the Olympics, when you do this, it was like so I was just going along and doing everything, ex expecting that it was going to happen. The same thing. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't driving myself to make sure that it happened. But there was no other option that it happened. Yeah, I was just going along, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, as I said, you know, I, I'd beaten um, beaten Klimi the year before at Panpax to get in, to get into the final, 
Um, otherwise, only two Australians in the final. Scotty Miller won the 100 fly, and, and um, Nick Mel Stewart was second, and I was third in the 100 fly at Pampax 95. Mm. And then a year later, um, I'm at the trials going, yeah, well, when I make the team, when I do this, when I do that. And then Klimi just popped up, you know, jumped some times, and then this mm. young kid, Jeff Hugel, came through. Um, so here I was, you know, not able to actually make the team. I was fourth in the country, let alone, um, you know, um, swimming an event at, 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 the, at the game. So it was, yeah, it was, and I had to do the same thing. I had to, well, in four years from now, what am I going to do to make sure that I'm on that team? And for me, that was swimming freestyle. You know, it was, yeah, I, I needed to get my fly better. And if I had to focus on my fly, I'm sure it would have got better. But going to the US and doing other bits and pieces enabled me to then, you know, have a backup plan, so to speak, or have some other events and made me a much better well-rounded athlete and allowed me to come into to, to the Sydney team and, and swim that relay. So, you know, and then I swim the, the, the fly in the, in the heats of the medley relay in Sydney as well, even though, um, you know, because we had Clemmy and, and, and Jeff um, both, you know, resting both of them because Clemmy was in the free and, and Skip was in the fly. You know, so, you know, I, I wasn't not swimming fly, but it was one of those things that, you know, it was definitely a, a focus of what am I going to do next time? And then, you know, after Sydney, it's like, okay, that's it. I'm going to make an individual event. What have I got to do 2004 to be swimming that, you know, that 100 fly and, and moving forward and, and doing that. So, yeah, it was, it's, it's that yeah. mentality. Yeah. Well, kind of like what you said, there's always someone and there's always someone coming up, you know, whether it be Scotty Miller coming around and, you know, Jeff Hugel coming up and Michael Clem popping out. There's always somebody that's going to come. And that's what I noticed. And what I wanted, I wanted longevity. I wanted to be on the Australian team year after year no matter who popped up and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm up against guys like Michael Clem and Ian Thorpe and, you know, Chris Feidler and, and um, you know, uh, Ash Callis, you know, these, these type, anybody that can pop up and, and take your spot. And I'm dealing with hundreds of seconds, just like you, you know, in the hundreds, it could be a touch, touch, you're out. That's it. That you, your whole year's done. So what I wanted to do was guarantee myself on the Australian team because what the, the situation that I had going into 2000 is I had a daughter, you know, her name's Kira. She was born in 1999. She was a year old, um, you know, come the trials and, um, and I needed to support her. I didn't have a choice. You know, I wasn't going back to deliver pizzas for McDonald's uh, for, for um, pizza hut. Like I'm not doing that again. So I'm like, when you don't have a choice of something, it changes the game completely. Yeah. It's like before I was like, Oh, I hope that happens. Now it's like, this has to happen or I'm dead. I'm not going to be able to support my family. I'm not going to be able to survive. I'll, I'll have to go and get a real job and I don't want to do that. I want to swim and I want to compete and I want to, um, I want to make this team. So then when you're left with that choice, you'll do whatever is necessary at any point in time, you know, in terms of what you need to do. So you don't cut corners and, and you, you do the work that you need to do and then you have the belief. So going in, a lot of, a lot of my teammates at the time might, might think, well, Brett, Brett was cocky. You know, Brett was a cocky guy. I had no choice. Like if I wasn't cocky, I wasn't making the team. I'm not beaten. I'm not, I'm not better than Ian Thorpe. I'm not delusional. I'm not better than Michael Klim. I'm not delusional. These, these are some of the greatest swimmers in history. If I'm not cocky or if I don't believe in myself, I have no chance against these people. You know, Chris Feidler was six foot five. He, he was, he, he, he was a man, you know, I'm racing, I'm racing men. So it's like, if you don't believe in yourself, you're dead. You don't stand a chance. And that's kind of the way I felt about it is I had to walk in with confidence. I had to believe in what I was doing, but I had to do the work. And that's, that's kind of the same thing that you, that you had, you know, you did the work. There's no doubt about it. You didn't cut corners. And the only way that you represent Australia for 17 years is, you know, you're doing what is necessary in order to, to, to compete and, and finding a way to get your hand on the wall to, to make those teams. And, and that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, you, you were awesome. It was, um, it was great to see your journey of, of being around, being an athlete. And then, and then when you changed in, in Sydney 2000 came, you weren't just an athlete, you were a competitor. And, um, and those next sort of four or six years, you know, it was awesome having you on the team, just, you know, your attitude. And, you know, it was great. Sometimes you'd have blow-ups with athletes um, on our team, you know, and, and that was all about your mentality of, no, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do to race. Don't, you know, don't get in my face. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I love hearing those stories and hearing those things come up. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was good. And, and, you know, I hope the younger generation next to 
group of athletes can learn from. You, you've got to have that confidence. You know, you've got to have that that belief in yourself. Because um, if you don't believe in yourself, then um, then others won't. And um, if your coach tells you you can do it, that's one thing. But you've got to believe it. And if if you believe it, it can happen. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And 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 that's the way it was. Like you said, I had I had instances with. You know, I was in team meetings where um, they didn't regard the 50 freestyle as an event. Like, it was a joke to them. You know, I'm like, this is this is what I swim. They hand out gold medals in this event just like they do any other event. Like, can we take this seriously? Like, this is a real event that needs to be um, specifically trained for. If you're not training for this, it's not a joke. And um, I haven't talked about this publicly, but I had I had a, a bit of an incident with Thorpey, you know, once um, where... I can't remember the exact trials he was talking about it, but in the public, in the, in the, in the newspapers and on the radio, whatever it was in the media, he was talking about the events that he was going to swim at the Olympic trials. And it was the hundred free, the 200 free, the 400 free. And for fun, he was going to swim in the 50 free. Well, that pissed me off no end, you know, because I'm like, here you're talking about your serious events and he, and, and then the, the event that you know, you can't win, you're going to call it fun. And so, um, I don't know if I should talk about this, but I'm going to, but, uh, but I called Thorpey up and, and him and I had a pretty uh, interesting conversation. And, and I said, you know, look, it, that's my event. It's not a fun event. It's a serious event. And if you want to talk about it, if you want to be beaten and, and that's not going to be fun for you, you know, like, so it's not going to be fun. It's don't talk about it as fun. Okay. Like give it some respect. If you don't give it respect, no one else is going to give it respect. So like, if you say that you're going to swim the 50, 100, 200, and 400, great. But don't say that you're going to swim the 50 for fun because I'm going to beat you and it's not going to be fun. You know, So we kind of had it out privately, but uh, he was he was good about it. You know, he ended up... I, I can't believe you poked the bear. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if he punched out a 21 if you... Yeah, no. <laughs> no, he ended up pulling out of the event because he was smart enough to know that I was going to beat him. <laughs> he didn't have it. <laughs> but that's all i had man i could swim down the pool that was it you know that i couldn't swim yeah back. And, and but i still remember um one one camp or one 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 team trip where we were doing something up in cans and then we had a like a grand prix meet at the end of the end of the week and they divided us into two teams just to try and make this a bit you know half the half the team was in a in the green team and the gold team and then we we're trying to score points against each other and all of a sudden there's this the 400 IM, I think only Justin Norris is swimming the 400 IM. So you entered yourself in a 400 IM mm. just so that you could get some points for your team. So you'd done your 50 um, and it was a fun event for you, I can imagine, but it probably wasn't fun watching you swim a 400 IM at a meet. It's awful. Just trying to get some, you got second, but you got last, you know, and um, <laughs> it, it was almost, a, you know, that, that 100 fly, just watching you, just watching you swim uphill, the end of that 100 fly, knowing you still had 300 meters to go, it was just, it was just great fun. <laughs> well, mate, listen, I was under no illusions that I was not, uh, I was not in the category of of Grant Hackett and Michael Clem and, and Ian Thorpe. I, I, I didn't think that at, at any point in my my life, but I was never going to um, let them. I was never going to let them think that I wasn't, you know. <laughs> and so, if they were to step up on the blocks next to me, I was going to let them have it you know, verbally, <laughs> they were going to know that they were going to race me. And if they were going to, if they were going to beat me, they had to be really good. And so, um, that's kind of the, the approach that I took, but listen, I got a, I actually got a question from, um, Grant Hackett. He just sent me a text. He knows that I'm talking to you right now. And he said, Moscow, 2002, talk me through that trip. What, what happened in Moscow, 2002, mate? That was, um, so that was well short course, in, in Moscow. Um, yeah. so great. we didn't have a big team. Um, you know, um, I was there with you. Yeah. And, um, I think there was all sorts of things, you know, if you remember the dining hall, you remember where we were staying, the U S team apparently staying in the Hilton, which was probably the, you know, a better option where we were at the hotel Cosmos, which is the big casino <laughs> with 3000 rooms and, you know, casinos and gaming floors and, you know, nightclubs and, and hookers and everyone downstairs. And, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, the food there wasn't great. There was most countries staying there. The bread rolls had come out. Everyone would, you know, scavenge and go and jump it. It was the last bit of food in the world. Everyone was starving because you didn't want to eat the rat, the rat curries and the, 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 the stews and all sorts of things that you didn't know. The mystery meat. We call it mystery meat. <laughs> the mystery meats and other bits and pieces. So there was plenty of athletes that weren't eating much and 
you know, weren't getting a lot of nutrients and it was, it was a tough meet. And then a lot of people got sick and a little bit bits and pieces, but yeah, that was, that was a great meet. You know, it was one of those, you know, there's, there's some things we can talk about as athletes and some things that, you know, should stay on tour. But yeah, Hacky was, yeah, he, he went missing that, that, that last day and that last night. And, you know, then next thing we find him at, uh, at Copenhagen airport on the way home, you know, he's, he's caught back up with the team and he, and he made it. So, you know, it was um, <laughs> some good fun. And, um, you know, he, he had a great meet. And, you know, in terms of performances, I think I didn't have a great meet. I think I got three silvers there um, in, the free, in the 50 fly, the 100 fly or silver um, behind Jeff Hugel. Um, so he, he won. Uh, so Australia got first and second. And then in the medley relay, actually, that was a, that was a, that was a great meet because in the medley relay, um, I think Manny Welsh was there, but he was as crook as a dog, so he couldn't swim the backstroke. So they put Skippy in to swim 100 back. He'd never done 100 back in his life against the US team. Um, and I was in there doing the fly, and then we had a pretty decent team. Um, and geez, we almost got there, you know. Skippy'd never done 100 back in his life. I think he, you know, short course back then, 52, 53 seconds. And, you know, it was, it was a couple of seconds behind Pierce or, or whoever it was, I think. Um, but then we'll come at them and yeah, almost got them in the end. And it was a close race. But um, you know, some of the things you do when you yeah, when your back's to the wall and you jump in other events. And you know, it was yeah. In terms of a high performance environment, it wasn't the best swim meet um, or a best environment for a swim meet. But yeah, and some of the some of those things are the best fun. You know, a lot of the tours and things we've had over the years. You remember the the adversity. You remember the tough times, and you remember the the bad hotels and the, the times where things weren't great. And um, you know. It builds character and makes you a better athlete and, you know, has some great, great memories. So, yeah, thanks, Haki. It was good times and, yeah, we had fun. Well, let's just uh, finish with this then. What, what, you know, learning from them and seeing them, what can the current Australian swimmers take from the performances of Grant Hackett and Ian Thorpe and guys that were just dominant consistently? You know, is there something that we can learn from that? Is there something we can take away and say, this is what they were doing in order to get those performances. Yeah, that, that there's not just one thing, you know. There, there's hundreds of things, and there's different opinions about what made them good and, and and what they did. But you know, there's some some general traits. You know, those guys, um, they were the best in the world for a number of years because of what they could consistently do in the pool, in training, day in, day out. You know. Yeah, they were built six foot four, six foot six. They were built like athletes. They were fit. They were fast. They were healthy. But what they did and what their coaches put them put them through and put them put together with them, you know, that that's what made them the best. And you know, it's another funny thing is is the mentality of those athletes that were the best. You know, it's um, probably one of the reasons why I was around for so long and kept swimming is I I probably wasn't completely. Um, invested in performance and performance at, at, at no other costs, you know, at, at all costs and that nothing else matters, you know, and those guys, they're either all in or all out. And I guess that's some of the things in the, the personalities of athletes that a lot of us have, have problems with transition, you know, after life, after games, other bits and pieces is because of that mentality and that approach, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's an unfortunate it's what it takes to win it, it you just need to have this you know this screw loose in your head that you're just going to do absolutely everything and if anyone comes anywhere near you, you're going to go to the next level again and you're going to do this and you're going to do that and what those guys did you know the sets they could do in training the the, the volumes they could do um and what they could do in, in races you know some of those things you know it's it's what it took it's performing that the technical stuff that they did the way they swam the the way they held the water, you know, all those little bits and pieces contributed, but their mentality and their personalities, those guys were unstoppable, man. And, um, you know, and, and they pushed each other. I, I love watching that 800 free at, um, was it Fukuoka, where they, where they thought he swam up a distance and Aki came down a distance. You just knew that was going to be on. And Aki just broke the world record, I think, in the 1500 at the end of the week as well. Mm. So he was swimming on fire. And, you know, it, it, some of those performances... And that pushing each other as well. And then you had Clemmy. Then you had, you know, on, on the women's side, we had some, some other superstars. So in Australia, they're all fighting for the limelight as well. So they're all trying to be better than each other, even though they're not racing each other. Because mm. um, at any time, there's only five or six superstars in Australia making, making some money out of swimming. Um, and so to be the best, you had to be better than, you know, the other one. So if you're winning two gold medals and 
he's only winning one, then you're going to get more recognition, you know, more sponsorship opportunities, more opportunities to do everything. So, you know, it was a great time to be around and just to see those guys and the personalities of those guys is awesome. And, um, you know, I love catching up and reminiscing. It's just why I love your podcast so much. You know, I love, love hearing these things and trying to understand, oh, that, that's why that happened or that, that's what I was doing. Um, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, I, you know, I love being part of the journey and I'm, you know, as I said, I'm still on the journey and still learning, learning so much about the sport and so much about even the competitors that we raced against. And, you know, I love what you're doing, mate. So keep it up and, um, yeah, it's been, been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate it, mate. Yeah, it's been uh, good to talk to you too and a lot of good insight here. So thanks, mate, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, all right? Can't wait. Talk See soon. you, Pony. All right, mate. Bye.